welcome to the January 2023 edition of BBRO Beatcast. I'm Francesca Broom, your host and Knowledge Exchange Manager for BBRO. As we welcome in the new year, I caught up with a couple of newcomers to Sugar Beet. Henry Stanford, a grower near Dereham, and Ed Stimson, a contractor near Dis. But first, let's hear what issues the BBI Plant Clinic dealt with in 2022 from Dr Kate Orman. So Kate, you've been with BBRO now three years? Yep, coming up on three years. And during that time, your role has sort of developed quite a bit. So you came in initially just to give us a hand with counting aphids for, was that the 2020 awful year of virus yellows? So I was taking over a lot of the lab diagnostics and the aphid survey is, is one of the main things that was involved in that. Starting in January 2020, nothing really quite went to plan. So, and that was a bit, a bit of a baptism of fire, wasn't it? Because there were so many samples of aphids that came in. You must have wondered what earth you'd signed yourself up to. It was a little bit like that, yeah. But um, I think the whole situation meant that we could think differently. We could think outside the box. We could find new ways. And I think some of the ways we found actually have been working better for us now. Even as we move back into slightly more normal times, we've learned lessons and and how to do things better. Which is part of the research side, you know, trial and error and finding new ways. And that leads me on to what you're doing at the moment, because you've actually picked up unusually cover crop work in the lab. So why are you growing cover crop plants here? Well, We've been hearing a lot about the positives of cover crops and lots of people are trying to use them. And we didn't have that much information on how these cover crops and things you might be planting to benefit um, beneficial insects or wildlife, how they are possibly hosts for the viruses that are having such a big effect on our beet crops. So though as BBRO, we've done quite a bit of work on cover crops. We're sponsoring Jake Richards' PhD on cover crop work. But that was really about how the root system um, operates and how it frees up some of the soil. So although it's still working in a similar vein, yours is above ground and very much in how we can either attract beneficials but reduce the actual virus content. So we're starting sort of from the beginning when it comes to virus in cover crops. And as we're moving into a post-neonic world, we want to be able to give the best advice we can on how we can reduce the impact of virus wherever it may be coming from. And if we find that certain cover crops may host different viruses, then it wouldn't be saying don't grow them. It might just be saying you could change your practice reduce the impact that this has on potential virus. Now, when we're looking at virus yellows, we're all aware there are actually three viruses there. So how are you going about testing, say, in Pacelia? So we've got a selection of about 12 plants that we've tested so far, and we're growing them up in the lab and then inoculating all of them with aphids carrying each of the three viruses and then we test them using a test called an ELISA to see whether the plant's hosting the virus. But you're actually doing each virus separately, aren't you? So the aphids you're inoculating with only carry one virus at a time? Yeah. We want to make sure that we 
are looking at things individually so you know exactly which virus is having what effect so we can get the, the best idea of what's going on. So I've already screened our selection of plant species for bee mild yellowing virus and bee chlorosis virus. And I'm just starting out on testing them all for bee yellows virus. And how many different species are you actually testing? Um, we've screened 12 plant species for the viruses so far. But we're going to be looking at potentially expanding that in the future, testing the things that we think provide the most valuable information to the growers. And can you tell us some of the 12 that you're actually testing at the moment? We've tested some of the standard cover crops that a lot of growers will be using, white mustard, vetch, red clover, buckwheat, and also some of the flowering things that will be promoting beneficials and pollinators like phacelia or cornflower. So obviously this is a bit of a pilot um, and we'll know more in future, but has there been any surprising information that you found? Um, yeah, we have had some plants that have come out as quite strong hosts for specific viruses. Um, Phacelia appears to be hosting beet mild yellowing virus, but not beet chlorosis virus. Okay, so it'll be very interesting to find out with beet yellows as to whether it's host that as well or whether you know we might be looking at something totally different for beet yellows mightn't we we might be yeah and we've got three viruses that we're dealing with and you will inevitably end up with almost everything being a host <laughs> for one of them so it's going to be tricky but if it means that we can provide some useful information to growers then that would be really valuable and it will be interesting for them because it, currently you could buy such a mix of cover crops we actually need to know what people are putting on the land and if you can understand why you're putting it on and the consequences of that it's going to make managing things like virus yellows and many other things probably much easier for us absolutely and i know there's a lot of factors that go into the choice of cover crops whether you're trying to improve your soil or looking at your nitrogen use but it's just another factor to think about that might influence your decision-making. And when you're actually testing these, obviously you're putting the infected aphids onto the plant. How confident can you be that it's actually the plant is resistant to it or the aphid just doesn't like the taste of that plant? Well, we can't be completely sure, but if the aphids don't like the taste of that plant when that's the only choice we've given them, you'd hope that when an aphid is out in the field it's not going to be choosing to feed when it has other options. It might be that these plants could theoretically host virus, but if the aphids have no interest in them, then they're not going to be transmitting it. So it shouldn't be a problem. Yeah, so it's going to be very interesting to see how this develops. And particularly, I think we'll all be keen to find out whether beet yellows that causes the most damage to the crop, what of the species carry that that's going to be probably the, the main key for everybody, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And normally, Kate, you are in the lab at BBRO. You're not often seen out and about in the field, but occasionally we can twist your arm to come out. And I do believe you're taking to the platform for Beat Tech 23 in February, aren't you? Yeah, we'll be on the stage then talking to you all about our plant clinic service. So I think a lot of the growers don't realise that when they send something in, um, it's 
probably you that picks it up. And I know the wider team will help out with some of the diagnostics, but the majority of the work is actually handled by you, isn't it? It is. Got some good expertise there in diagnosing potential problems with your plants. If you could say one thing to the growers that send in their samples, what would it be? Um, it's always good if you want to just drop us an email to start with to plantclinic at bbro.co.uk, then we can do a little triage of your beet problem um, before you send anything in and we can let you know how best to send in any samples. Yeah, And when samples come in, I think a big reminder is please make sure you put some paperwork in there because when you have 30 samples arriving on one day, and half of them don't have any paperwork. It's very difficult to tie them together, isn't it? <laughs> it absolutely is. You can download the plant clinic form on the website, fill that in, send it in with your sample. Thanks very much for your time, Kate. Thanks. From future diagnostics in the lab, let's catch up with the first of our sugar beet growers of the future, Henry Stanford. First of all, thank you for joining me, Henry. Yeah, um, thank you. Great to be with you. As I said to you earlier, I'm trying to do something with a, a few more of our younger sugar beet growers and sugar beet, hopefully, enthusiasts. So I'm pleased to join you on the family farm here. So just tell me a little bit about the farm. Farm name is ELJ Stanford and Son. Been here at Remiston, Calvary Hall Farm, Remiston, since 1913. And there used to be three brothers and we're the only Stanfords left farming here. Um, in central Norfolk. The farm is 250 acres owned. Our rotation includes sugar beet, obviously, um, winter barley, spring barley, wheat, and a little bit of grass, and some stewardship that we've just gone into last year, and all seed ripe as well. So there's a mix of all of them things. We keep some cattle over winter, so that's uh, where some of our muck comes from. We also do straw for muck with a pig farm and a duck farm. All right, quite diverse. Yep. And does you and your dad work on the farm? Um, yes, I'm only part-time here. I work for the proctors in Shibdom a few days a week, and whenever they're really busy, I go and work for a bit more. So. Um, do you work on the dairy side for them? I do a mixture. I work on the dairy side feeding cattle and I also help Ralph on the arable side, either using their machinery or taking some of our own tractors to help. You do a little bit of contracting work yes, generally? Yes, yeah. Also, uh, as well as the owned land, we hire a bit of land. We also help with the next door farmer, do a few cultivations and drilling and stuff like that for him. And we also hire some more land in Garveston, which we, we do on FBT with a guy who's very keen to grow some sugar beet next year, oh, which is, that's the which music is to my ears. excellent, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, so with sugar beet here, do you actually do all of the work yourselves? No, we do all the drilling, cultivations, fertiliser applications, spraying, but we have someone come and lift our sugar beet. Yeah, it used to take um, dad and granddad a few months for the standard turbo beet, and now it takes a day. So uh... <laughs> <laughs> so how many years have you actually done the drilling? I don't drill the beet. I, ah. to confess, I don't have a lot to do with the sugar beet, <laughs> and I haven't been a big fan of sugar beet the last few years down to the general mess they can make afterwards. But since input costs have increased and sugar beet, uh, obviously you put a lot less fertilizer, which is a major input problem at the minute on sugar beet than anything else. I think they're a good crop for the future. You can also use a different set of agronomy on sugar beet, which helps a lot with black grass control. 
spring crop so I'm a lot more keen on them now than I was initially. I'm glad we've yeah. won you over. <laughs> now you say you don't do any drilling but I actually know that your dad has signed you up to do our drilling operator course. So <laughs> I have a feeling you might be doing the drilling in future. <laughs> you might know something I don't I reckon. <laughs> oh, well you'll, you'll be welcome along hopefully we'll be able to teach you a thing or two. <laughs> So with the sugar beet, how have you got on this year? This year was tale of two halves, I'd say, with the drought. We had a field of sugar beet on some very heavy land um, that we struggled to get established. We drilled a, a BCN variety on there and they didn't do that well at all. They rallied during the drought, obviously heavy land that held them better, yeah. but there just wasn't enough plants to, to make up the yield. So they, they done about 65 tonne a hectare. Oh, okay. So that was not no, great. Good. The other field was on a light land field that got established well in spring. That was 1915. So they made up the difference really for us. They done um, 91 and three quarter ton a hectare. So we were pleased good, yeah. for them in the in the year we've had. We also used Nemgard on them. I don't think that made a great difference, but we don't know. So do you know that you had BCN in the field? It is known to have BCN problem and the. Docking disorder can be quite bad on there and all sorts of things. Ideally, we would like to use Vidate, which we have always used, and we attribute some of that to our past successes in sugar beet, but since the banning of that, we thought we'd have a go at Nemgard instead. Mm -hmm. Certainly from our trials, we, we are really pleased with what we've seen in Nemgard. Yeah. And we do think that is helping with the, the BCN. So do you have much of an issue with black grass on the farm? Yes, we do on our heavy land. We, we have a bit of an issue. One field in particular is a big problem, and that was the field that we grew the sugar beet on this year. And we really used it as a, as a black grass control, um, trying to drill late, spray off the black grass, kill the black grass with um, mechanical measures, mm -hmm. power harrowing, and then obviously the application of a pre-em, and then after the crop's gone, you've got another whack. You can cultivate it, leave it over winter, spray it off again, drill it with the spring crop. We hope this will have um, decreased the black grass numbers on that field. From what you've seen so far, any signs that it's had an effect? Yeah, I, I think it's made a difference. Obviously, we took, we've taken a bit of a yield hit on that field. The, the sugar beet haven't done well, but I think the, the decrease in black grass numbers will make up for that. Yeah. So you've had sort of two different types of harvest almost. We got the first, we got the heavy land beet lifted quite early and ploughed over, ready for the spring, so we could get some weathering on that. We managed to get the light land beet lifted and into the factory the day before the frost came. Yeah, you, you must be quite <laughs> relieved. We're very lucky, I'd say. Yeah. So you've talked about the actual crops. What about yep. machinery? So what's your tractor? That's the one of the most important questions. We've got a red tractor. <laughs> We've got four red tractors yeah. and a big green combine. <laughs> now, I, I know that um, my second guest on here has got a red tractor, but he's looking for a green one in his Christmas sack. Yes. <laughs> but I don't think he's going to get one. <laughs> so uh, alongside your role on the farm here and keep yeah. yourself busy, I also know that you happen to be the chairman of Norfolk Young Farmers at the moment. I do, yes. Yeah, and how's that going? Um, it seems to be going okay, yeah. Thank you. Are the clubs strong in Norfolk? Yes, there's uh, yeah the clubs in Norfolk are very strong. The members are very keen. Um, they're they're up on numbers since before COVID, which is very positive. And there's lots of people keen to get involved and keen to make a difference. And I know it's open to uh, non-farmers as well as farmers. But um, how do you find the conversation? Do you still find that when you go out, you're still talking about agriculture? 
I find that people are like-minded and they, even if they aren't directly um, involved in agriculture, they have an interest in the countryside. So there's some common ground there for people and often meetings are agricultural based. So that generates some conversation, regardless of whether they know anything about agriculture or not. So I'm trying to promote sugar beet to obviously young people at the moment. It's an awful lot of youngsters that are working on the farms that... Like you said earlier, you know, I haven't really paid a lot of attention to the crop and they're hopefully now waking up that this is a potential good crop for the farm to continue with. So how would you go about promoting sugar beet to other young farmers? Maybe a, uh, a conversation, someone from British Sugar to come and do a meeting or someone like yourself from the VVRO and have a discussion over a pint about the the costs and the profit margins on sugar beet, I think people would be interested. Well, thank you very much for your time, Henry. It's been yeah. great to hear you know, your journey in sugar beet and hopefully a, a new journey for you as you're <laughs> going to take on the drilling for the farm. Let's hope so. <laughs> um, and I look forward to perhaps catching up with you in future years. Yes, so. thank you, Ches. And from one young farmer to another, we now hear from contractor Ed Stimson. Obviously, I know, Ed, you've taken on sort of part of the, the family business, working with Dad. Yeah, yeah, I've now into my fourth beet season with Dad now. Yeah, and what, what part of the beet do you actually look after? I cut the beet majority of the time, uh, slowly taking on the, li the lifting, um, take, trying to take on a bit more the maintenance sides of everything. So I learn that side first and then hopefully the communication with the customers will come in future years. And you do mainly harvesting, aren't you? You're out on the field. Yeah. So what's your harvester? Uh, Vivat 617. That's fairly fairly well reliable with, with Jeremy Riley supporting it. Reliable for parts and they'll soon get you out of muddle if you need to. And is that the same machine you've had for the last four years? Uh, it's the same machine we've had for the last 15 years, I think. <laughs> Good workhorse. Yeah, we changed it. With That's the same machine we've had for three years. Previously we've had four Vivats in... So 15 years. The harvester is very much like a tractor. When you get to one particular type that you like, you stick with it. Yeah. Yeah. So what's special about that? Um, because we're a majority heavily heavy land. The open turbines on the front uh, cleans the beet a lot better than the roller bed. Um, I know Vivat now making roller bed, but no one else really makes open turbines. That's four wheels, reasonably light as well. It's only got a 16 ton tank as, as, a, as a, light, as a lighter machine than some of these other big six-wheelers. They're cost-effective to run and to buy, and a backup from is a second to none. You're actually in the dis area, aren't you, which the land here is fairly heavy. Yeah, a lot of our land runs across the, the 143 bypass where we lift. A lot of that has all moved land from when they dug the bypass out, and the same with the 140. But it is, yeah, we are sort of in a heavy pocket here. When we go slightly north of this, that isn't, that's a little bit lighter, but most of our beat are in the heavy land. of. But I was hoping to actually catch you on the machine today, but although it's bright and sunny out there, I'm afraid you've been out and checked a few fields this morning and can't go, can you? Yeah, we went and had a look yesterday and that was a bit wet. We looked at the forecast and didn't think it was going to rain and there was no rain here. And we got to the harvester and, there was, and the concrete was all wet in the yard. So we, we walked the field and they were too wet. So we've now moved just north of... This just to the other side of Long Stratton, um, where there's a slightly lighter land, and we think that'll be the next place that that'll go. Um, and I'm, I'm sure everyone's concerned at the moment, having had this uh, very hard frost. What are you seeing about the beat that is in the ground? I think if they've had good tops, like they've had, they're holding in. I think everybody knows the tops this year and the beat in general have been small, and I think we're in a factor now that's going to have to be lift and cut um, within 
two or three days. You've had a, a bit of a problem here because you've had the beet moth has attacked a lot yeah. of beet, so there's very little top. And also, with the drought, did you find a lot of the beet that you're lifting are protruding from the ground a bit more? They were that small, they were already falling through the machine in October time, so that tells you how you know, how hard-hitting that was. And then the drought, so we had some bit of hot land at Redgrave on the Fen, and with the drought there, there was just nothing there. And that and that had hit them off as well, and that was a lovely big 80-acre field, light land, that would have been nice lifting on a normal year and probably would have been a good crop if we had, a, you know, had some rain in the summer and the spring. And I do think that's been a lot of people's issue. It's been perfect conditions for the beet moth, dry over the summer, beet moths come in, decimated the, the canopy, and now the frost, unfortunately, all impacting in this area is the, the worst. So yeah. we've got good um, harvest lifts in most other places, but um, unfortunately you're in one of the, the poorer ones at the moment, aren't you? Mm, yeah. Can you? Have you seen any issues of actual frost damage on any of the beet you've been lifting? Yeah, well, we haven't actually lifted that much since the frost. We have only lifted about 10 acres right at the last day of the frost before the rain came in, and the leaves were quite good there. The ground had been protected by the frost that was actually softer underneath. We managed to lift the 10 acres of a dog leg there, um, but I looked at some of the others and I cut them in half and they were black. Uh, not fully black, but they were on the way out. The last thing we could do now was that they sit in a heap and then it gets mild, we'll be in some, in some muddle. But I, I hope they'll pull through, but we're, we're in a good position now. We've only got 100, 120 acres to do, so I'd like to think with a dry week we'll get done. I know it's sort of family business, isn't it? Um, N.C. Stimson, you've obviously grown up in farming. Was there ever a thought in your mind to do anything different? Um, I don't think so. I think even back in primary school when you had non-school uniform days and old dog turn up in overalls and a tweed jacket and a, <laughs> and a cap and welly boots, I think I've always just been into farming from, yeah, from a very, very young lad. All my pictures as, as, as a baby, I was always in a tractor or something. So you talk about being in a tractor, I've got to ask, what colour? Well, we ran a Massey Ferguson at the minute, but I'd rather have a John Deere, I think, but... <laughs> That'd be and nice. what's your favourite crop then? Because you, you do mostly contract work. Yeah, we tend to um, put the machinery in on some big farms for um, harvest and then we run two diggers as well, so we divert with hedges and ditches and then obviously run the shoe harvester and then we also do hay and silage and things. So, um, no, I think... Uh, I've got to say sugar beet as, as I'm a beet contractor <laughs> no, by mine. I haven't got to say sugar beet. Probably a, a winter wheat is, is quite an easy crop to grow as such. You you know, you, you can follow it behind most crops. Um, so what is it about sugar beet harvesting that you enjoy? As a contract, that fills in a wintertime work. I wouldn't know what I'd do in the winter if we didn't do sugar beet. Well, it is one of the few crops that will keep people busy over the winter months. So I know that you're actually in Young Farm. And I know you always throw yourself into all the activities. Do you actually see yourself building up a, a network of other Young Farmer members for building your contract business? Yeah, I, I use a few of the, the Young Farmer members now. There's a few of them who've got family farms and I said, can't I grow some sugar beet. But yeah, we're in quite a good um, agricultural area. Do you think going in as a contract is a good way to get a feel of a crop? Yeah, I think you've only got to do three-year contract or even a year contract. And you've got to have a go at different things. You can't, like, you've got to change. You can't just do two or three crops. I think you've just got to have a feel. Yeah, sugar wheat's a brilliant break crop. I know a lot of people are going down the mint till route, but that gives you also a good opportunity to turn the land around as well. 
and certainly for this area where we've got beet moth, we are recommending that people do plough down. Yes. This. But it would be great if we could actually get that um, buried nice and deep so we don't have a problem in this next year. Yeah, everything behind beet moth this year they've ploughed. Thank you very much for your time, Ed. It's been great to catch up with you and, and see the farm and hopefully tomorrow will be uh, a little bit drier for you. You might be able to get on and get that beet out of the ground. I hope so. If not, we'll be lifting Christmas Eve. <laughs> All the best for Christmas then. Okay. With Christmas 2022 now in the past, I hope you had a good one and from all of us at BBRO, our very best wishes for 2023. Thank you for listening.